Good afternoon, Woodland Hills. There are uh, certain times preaching when I have really had to lean into that teaching of Paul's when he says, when we are weak, he is strong. Uh, And this is going to be one of those nights. (laughs) I got my sexy voice on. Uh, I've had one of those weeks. It's the craziest thing. I have gone in the last three, four years hardly having a sniffle. And uh, this year, I've been whammoed twice in the span of two months with this flu, chest cold, nasty bug. Some of you know what I'm talking about. I talked to one guy who had it for six weeks. It's really crusty. Here's what's really crazy. I never get a flu shot. This year, I got a flu shot. (laughs) A lot of good those things do. So anyways, that's why, you know, whenever I go, I got to tell people, unclean, unclean. You know, stay away from me. Don't shake my hand. You don't want to, you folks in the front row, ah, you should be okay, but... Uh, the good news is that I'm kind of strung out on a DayQuil buzz, you know, so those sermons are always kind of interesting, aren't they? Who knows where this is going to go? So anyways, so we're, we're walking, uh, looking at Micah 6.8 these days. Uh, what does the Lord require of you? People in the Old Testament thought he required a lot of things, a lot of rituals, a lot of animals had to get killed, and God acquiesced to that. That's where they were at at the time, so he meets people where they're at. But there came a time when he, he revealed that really his will is very simple. Here's what the Lord requires of us. To love mercy, uh, to act justly, and to walk humbly before our God. We talked about loving mercy a few weeks ago. And Seth uh, last week did a great job talking about what it is to walk humbly with our God. And so today we're going to talk about what is it to, uh, to do justice, to act justly before God. As I'm going through this, could I get a few people here to... Just keep me covered in prayer. As, as you're listening to the message, keep on listening, but just keep on shooting up prayers. Yeah, I found this a dozen times here at Woodland Hills where I, I've, I've sometimes gotten the pulpit in way worse condition than this. I, I, some, I, like, I've been close to death a couple of times. And God just sustains me through the thing, and, and I, I feel really strong. And then when I'm done, I'm just absolutely trashed. But, uh, yeah, just pray that I get this sustaining power. And if I start to hack and that stuff, just ignore me. I, it'll, it'll clear itself out. You know, just got to give it space. All right. Let me start with this. Uh, right around the time we first moved in this building, so we're talking 15, 16 years ago, um, after a sermon, this lady approached me uh, at the front of the auditorium really aggressively. Um, and she starts talking, like, really fast and incessantly, and... So far as I could tell, she wasn't making any point whatsoever. I don't know if you've ever talked to a person like that, but they're very passionate, you know, uh, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing, as Shakespeare says. It's, it's like there's no content to what she was saying. Um, she was, uh, had a real disheveled appearance, dressed very kind of frumpy, uh, had a front tooth missing. Um, she reeked of cigarettes like, like, like a chimney, and, and her mouth, her breath, was remarkable. <laughs> I don't know the word. It, 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 she had gangrene or something. I don't know what, gingivitis? No, yeah, gangrene. <laughs> Ginger, it was the kind of person, I don't know if you've ever had this, but when they're, and they usually are the type of people who lean to, in when they talk to you. And she was doing that, and you have to kind of like lean back and catch a breath, like, because you can't breathe while they're talking to you because you'll, you'll get asphyxiated. And so she had this breath that was just terrible, and she's going on and on and on. And she also seemed to be completely oblivious to the fact that there was a line of people behind her who also wanted to talk with me. And what made it particularly getting irritating for me was that I saw in this line uh, a president of, of significant ministry that I'd been wanting to meet, 
and talk about the possibility of partnering with here at Wilderness Church. So I really wanted to meet this guy. And this lady was taking up all this time talking in circles about nothing. So I tried to several times get her to make a point. I said, ma'am, is there something I can help you with? Is there a point you would like to communicate to me? How may I help you? Please tell me. And she just kept on talking. Um, at one point, I, I pointed out, I said, ma'am, there's some other people waiting in line who would like to talk with me, and I'd like to talk with them. So, so thank you very much. God bless. Have a good day. But she wouldn't let me leave. She just kept on talking and talking in circles. At one time, at one point, I, I tried to pawn her off on the prayer team. <laughs> it's like, you see those people over there uh, praying up front? They'd love to talk with you, up close and personal. And, uh, you know, and, and pray for whatever needs you have. Uh, sorry, prayer team, but you know, this is kind of what we're called to do. So, uh, but she just ignored it and keeps talking. And so finally, at one point, I actually thought this. After three or four minutes, and a few people are starting to leave the, the line now, and I don't blame them because this is getting long. But I considered the possibility of, and I've never done this before, but I, was, I thought, what if I just, just moved on to the next person and, and start talking to them? Maybe she'll you know, get the point or something. And I was just about to do that. I was going to diss this lady. Uh, and as I get ready to do this, because I'm trying to anticipate what are the responses she might have. <laughs> you know, you're trying to hedge your bets here. But um, as I was about to do this, I had a strong check in my spirit. Stop me in my tracks. And, and it, I, there was this, it was this Holy Spirit giving me a very strong, almost stern word. It almost had a don't you dare feel to it. And... Um, what the word was is, this is my precious daughter. Treat her like the queen that she is. Uh, oh, that was. So I stopped, and I tried to block out my concern for the rest of the people in that line, and especially my desire to talk to uh, the president of that ministry. And it's really hard when you've got ADD to block that out, but now I'm going to try to focus exclusively on her, try to give her undivided attention, because this is... God's daughter, queen. And remarkably enough, <coughs> the minute I did that, uh, she got clarity. She had a burst. She had a clear moment. <laughs> and, and what she needed was money to uh, get gas, to make it home, and to give her kids lunch. And um, it's like, why she couldn't have said that five minutes ago, I don't know. But it, she was clear. So I asked her to stay, you know, step aside and, and wait for me, and I'd address her issue when I got done talking to now it was down to two people in this line. Uh, one of them was the president, though. He, he, he hung around, and, and I apologized for the delay, and he totally understood. He's been in ministry. He knows how it goes. In fact, he, he started to compliment me for you know, taking the t- such time with this lady, and I said, that is no credit to me because, honestly, I was going to diss her until the Holy Spirit put a check in, in, my, in, my, in my spirit. So he so said, here's the thing. Before I was convicted of God, I was thinking on the assumption that the people in this line, and particularly the president of that ministry, had more worth than this lady, were more important than this lady. Uh, Before the Spirit convicted me, I was thinking on the assumption that a person's worth has something to do with with, uh, their intelligence and with their appearance and with their breath order and with what they can accomplish in life and what they can contribute to uh, my ministry. When, as you know, if you've been here for any length of time, because we talk about this a lot, the truth is that a person's worth 
has got nothing but nothing to do with their intelligence or their appearance or their smell or what they can accomplish or what they can contribute. Uh, a person's worth, this is true of every human being, a person's worth is eternally settled by one thing and one thing alone, and that is that God thought that they were worth dying for. Uh, the truth is that every person has unsurpassable worth because Jesus Christ was willing to pay an unsurpassable price for them. And our most fundamental call as disciples, our most fundamental call, this is Discipleship 101, is to agree with God about that. And then to reflect that agreement by how we think about people, how we speak about people, how we speak to, pe to people, and how we treat people. Our most fundamental call. When I, before the Spirit convicted me, <clears throat> before the Spirit convicted me, um, I, I was treating this lady unjustly. Justice is about giving someone their due, uh, treating someone the way they deserve to be treated. Now, in the world, justice means then you reward good behavior and, and you punish bad behavior. You give them what, what, what is their due. Um, and justice means you come against everything that causes people to be treated worse than they deserve. For better or for worse. And so that's what justice means in the world. In, in the world. But see, for kingdom people, uh, we have a very different kind of sense of justice. We are to leave all judgment to God. That's his business. And knowing that every person has unsurpassable worth means that they deserve to be treated that way. That's what they deserve. Every person deserves to be treated like a king and a queen because they are created uh, and, and, and uh, with, with that worth, and Jesus ascribes that worth to them when he gives his life for them. Uh, they have that worth regardless of how intelligent they are, how they appear, what their breath smells like, what they can accomplish or can't accomplish, how they contribute to anyone's ministry. It's utterly irrelevant. It doesn't matter whether they're friend or foe, whether they're nice or nasty, whether you approve of their lifestyle or disapprove of their lifestyle. It doesn't matter. They have that worth, not because of anything we see in them, but because of what Jesus did for them. And our job is to agree with him. And see, insofar as we are aligning our lives and our thoughts with that and treating people the way they deserve to be treated, as defined by the cross, to that degree we are acting justly. We are doing justice. Uh, and to the degree that we come against anything that undermines that worth, we are living justly. We are acting justly. But to the degree that we allow our judgments to define a person's worth, to the degree that we don't ascribe the worth that God ascribes to them on the cross, to that degree we are living unjustly. We are not acting out justice. And the, Micah says to do justice. Now the way, the way this is, is phrased in the Hebrew, it has the connotation of, like usually when people say act justly, what that means is don't act unjustly. And that's all. Okay, I'll just avoid being unjust. But the, the, the term is more aggressive. It's something we're to pursue. We're to go after this. We're to actively be advocating this. And so we go out of our way. We sacrifice to ascribe worth to others. And we sacrifice to come against everything that undermines the worth of others. That is what it is to live justly. It's so important that we keep these two things distinct. The kingdom sense of justice and the world's sense of justice. That we always keep the uniqueness of the kingdom distinct, or we keep the kingdom holy, which means set apart from everything else that's mundane, secular. No, there's a unique call that we have to do justice. Now, usually when people think about justice, first thing that comes to mind is politics. Because really the word justice, the only time it's really used these days is in political circles. 
Uh, people hardly ever talk about their own behavior, whether it's just or unjust. Uh, as soon as we talk about justice, it's not what we should do. It's what government should do. And so these things get hotly contested. So this week, I have been laid out. And so I just, you know, you turn into a couch potato. And so I'm going to watch TV. And the most entertaining thing to watch on TV these days, of course, is the election stuff. It doesn't get better than that. And so I'm, I'm just kind of watching the news cycle. Well, on comes Bernie Sanders. And um, uh, he, he, he's talking about, of course, the revolution. It, it amazes me how every time you hear these politicians, their speeches are identical. They must get so sick of hearing themselves talk. Uh, I, I get sick of hearing them talk, and I don't even listen that much. But they always have the same speech. So his speech is, we have a revolution, and it, we're going to have a more just society by breaking up the nasty rich banks and to, uh, to, to close the gap between the rich 1% and the other 99% and to tax the wealthy to bring about a more equitable distribution of resources and provide safety nets and opportunities for the poor. And, of course, the crowd's going, yay. Um, a little while later, I'm doing a little more channel surfing, and I come upon a conservative commentator who's commenting on that speech. I think he was commenting on that speech. Could have been a different one, but it would have been the same speech anyway, so what does it matter? So he's commenting this, and he says what he calls just is really unjust because this is just a ploy of the Democrats to try to make people dependent upon them so they can ensure future votes. Uh, there's nothing just about this. When it comes to world thinking about justice, there's a lot of controversy, a lot of ambiguity. Uh, you, you, we've heard a lot lately of this, this debate going on about whether it's, it's just to pass a law against transgender people from using the bathroom uh, that, that, uh, of the gender that they identify with. Is that just or unjust? We hear a lot about is it just or unjust to deport uh, illegal immigrants who have children here in the United States because the children are U.S. citizens. What should be done about that? We hear... Uh, Debate about uh, minimum wage. What should the minimum wage be? Is it, is it just to keep it where it is, or are we supposed to raise it? We hear a lot of debate about gay marriage. Is it just to, uh, to allow them to marry their partners or not? And, of course, we hear a lot these days about, uh, about justice from the folks in the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, you know, they, they want justice for the black folks who are killed unarmed, and it's not justified, and so they're crying out for justice. Now, these are legitimate and important issues. In fact, I, I will in a couple of weeks be talking about the Black Lives Matter movement. We're going to do a series on reconciliation. And one of the messages will be on racial reconciliation, so we'll talk about that. But they're important issues. And I'm willing to bet that there are some folks listening to this message this weekend who uh, have an opinion or two about some of those issues. Maybe. Think. In fact, some of you might have some strong opinions about that. When I talk about Sanders, uh, uh, you know, and, and his, his, his plan to get a more just society, I bet there are some folks here saying, yes, he's got it down. That's what we should do. We got to stick it to those, those, those rich, greedy people and, and bring about a more just society. But there's other of you who I bet were thinking, oh, that's those Democrats using that old ploy, trying to get people dependent on them to ensure future votes. Uh, when I talk about the transgender issue, there's probably some folks who are thinking, well, it's absolutely just that a, a, a person should be able to use the bathroom of the gender they identify with. But I can pretty much guarantee you that there are a lot of people thinking, that's not only unjust, that's insane. Uh, you're going to have a biological male in a bathroom with a little girl, and what if he's just using this as a ploy to be a predator? What is just? What is unjust? Should we raise the minimum wage or not? Some people are thinking, yes, it'd be just to raise the minimum wage. But another person is thinking, well, you do that, you're just going to crash small businesses and you're going to create more unemployment. 
Uh, can't go for simplistic solutions. So it, it's justice in this world, in the world system, it can be a very ambiguous thing. And yet people very frequently get very strong convictions about those things. And it can happen that you become convinced, so convinced that this particular view of the world's justice is right, that, that you're certain of it and you lose the capacity to even entertain, understand how anyone who's intelligent or cares could disagree with you. You're so confident. How could anyone who really cares disagree with this? Now, if, if you find yourself in that position, first thing I want to say is you need to s- stop watching only one cable news station. <laughs> All right? It, it, this is what happens. People love to watch the version of reality that agrees with their views. And, but what that does is it, it hardens your brain. It solidifies it. So it, you, you eventually lose the capacity to even understand a different point of view. And this is what we have going on in our polarized culture right now. You know, folks are they just, we, all, they can't even understand how anyone who really cares or is really a thinking person could possibly have that point of view. They, 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 they must be evil. They, they just don't, they, they say they care, but they don't really care. They're just trying to get votes or whatever. So I encourage you to diversify your news sources. Listen to a version of reality that grates you, because at least that will keep your mind flexible and nimble and, and, and be able to be stretched. The second thing I want to say, however, is this. There's always been a temptation for Christians. When you are certain that a certain position is just, when it's obvious to you, it's very tempting to slap the label Christian on it because you're a Christian, and this is obvious, so it's Christian. Uh, and see, the minute you do that, well, then, then anyone who disagrees with you, you're going to suspect that they're not really Christian and they don't really care. Uh, see, these, these issues are important and they're legitimate. And, and what we see is this. Uh, have your opinion about what government should do about that and what is just for government to do. And your opinions might be absolutely right. I'll grant you that. They're absolutely right. They're brilliant. They're fantastic. They're insightful. And they're the most caring. For sure. Hands down. Wonderful. Hats off to you. But they're not Christian. There's nothing distinctly Christian about having an opinion about what Caesar should do. You can call it smart. You can call it good. You can call it caring. But you cannot call it Christian. Because the minute you call it Christian, you've got to call the other views non-Christian. And now you're just playing the Christian version of the world's games. These, these, these issues are, 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 are important, but see, they're all about the best version and the most just version of the kingdom of the world. But our call, kingdom people, is not to rally around someone's opinion about what's the best version of the kingdom of the world. Our call is to rally around the unique kingdom that Jesus inaugurated with his death and resurrection. And the kingdom of God that we're called to represent is radically, radically different from every version of the kingdom of the world. Your, your, your opinion is included. It's different from all of them. It's apples and oranges. It's in a totally different category, which is why our call to do justice is very different from the world's call to do justice. You know, Jesus didn't come to give us a new and improved version of Caesar's program. He didn't come to give us the best version of Caesar's program. In fact, people try to constantly... <laughs> They constantly tried to lure him in to uh, weigh in on the, on the hot justice issues of the day, and they were hotly debated in his day. And Jesus always resisted that. He wouldn't bite the bait. Um, they, they wanted to make him king at one point, John 6. They wanted to they put him in office. Jesus said, no thanks. He ran away. Uh, he is king. He's the king of king and lord of all lords, but he, he didn't come to be the king of any particular version of the kingdom of this world. That's why he tells Pilate, when Pilate asks him, are you king of the Jews? He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it was, my followers would be fighting. 
uh, but uh, you see that they're not. It's, 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 it's a, of a totally different sort. This is why Jesus could call a Matthew, who's a tax collector, who are the ultra-liberals of first-century Jewish culture. And then he calls a Simon, who's a zealot, who are the ultimate liberals of first-century Jewish culture. And they're both his disciples. And what's amazing, really amazing, is that you don't read a word about that in the Gospels. You don't find a hint. There's not even a slight nuance that Jesus was a little more inclined towards Matthew than he was towards Simon or vice versa. It's completely silent on that. And folks, what that's got to tell us, what's got to scream to us, is that when, 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 when two people have pledged their allegiance to Christ and his kingdom, their particular opinions about what government should do and how government should be act just, those opinions become completely irrelevant. When you've got Jesus in common, it doesn't matter what else you have that's not in common. Jesus is enough to unite you. If you're rallying around that, if that's your center, if that's where your ultimate pledge is, then everything else is just inconsequential. So have your opinions. Let them be right and good and caring and all of that wonderful hats off to you. But do not call them Christian. There's nothing distinctly Christian about them. What's Christian is when we follow Jesus and are fully aligned with his kingdom and are carrying out God's will on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. And in, in, we live in a country where every four years, they, we, they ask you what your opinion is. What do you think is just? And if you don't have a conviction against it, I'm not going to tell you not to give your opinion, to, to vote. But I will encourage you, if you do, always remember that you are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven way before you're a citizen of the United States or any other country. Amen. And always remember that um, uh, you, your job here is to be an ambassador to this foreign kingdom that we're in, this foreign land that we're in. You're an ambassador. You're a representative of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And so never let your particular opinions about what Caesar should do ever interfere with your job as a kingdom person. The worst, worst thing that can happen is for a Christian to get into a debate with a non-believer over politics. Dumb, 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 dumb. <laughs> do not do that. No, it's, let that slide. Who cares? No, you keep, keep your eye on the prize, what, you, what the calling is. And most of all, whatever you do with voting, whether you vote or not, Always remember and reassure yourself that the hope for the world ever becoming a truly just place, it does not lie in whether Hillary's going to win or, or Sanders is going to win or Trump's going to win or Cruz or Kasich's going to win. No, the hope is in the one who never had to run for office winning, the one who's been the king of kings from the very beginning and will be throughout eternity. Put all your eggs in that basket. That, folks, is the hope of the world. Amen. So I'm not going to tell you not to vote. But I will tell you this, it can suck you in. That's why I don't. I'm like a, you know, I'm like an alcoholic. If I take a sip, whew, I start caring about it. And I know I'm right. And so, uh, no, it, 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 it interferes with my kingdom stuff, you know. I, I, so it's better for me just, I got, I got to total abstain. So I won't tell you not to vote, but I will tell you this. We are called to do justice, and there's a world of difference between doing justice and voting for what others should do in justice. We're called to do justice, not just to vote about what is justice or to debate about what is justice. And justice for us, unlike the world, justice for us is not based on the merits of any person. Justice for us is based on the fact that God thought they were worth dying for and they've got unsurpassable worth. And we are called to aggressively pursue ways of expressing that worth to people and aggressively coming against everything that undermines that worth to people. They are kings and queens, and anything that undermines that king and queen status, we are to be opposed to it. That's why, folks, you will never hear, as long as I'm alive anyways, you'll never hear from this pulpit 
anyone trying to steer you how you should vote, if you really care about the poor, you'll vote this way. You'll never hear that here. But what you will hear and have heard and are going to keep on hearing is the proclamation that we, followers of Jesus, we are called to care about the poor, and we are called to sacrifice for the poor. Amen. That's our job. And, and so we're not going to rally around someone's opinion about what government should do for the poor. We're just going to do it. Okay? We, we, we do justice. That's why we've got a food shelf here. And we feed hundreds of people a week, hundreds of families a week. Um, and we encourage folks to get behind that by supporting the church and maybe volunteering. And, and sometimes we have you bring in food when the food shelf is, is, is running low. But we're called to do justice. Not have opinions about how other people or other organizations should do justice. That's why, as long as, as, as I'm alive, you'll, you'll never hear from this pulpit anyone trying to tell you how to vote about minimum wage. But what we will do and have done is we'll partner with ministries that give people job training so they can get jobs that don't pay a minimum wage. <laughs> That's a solution there. And well, you'll never hear from us anything about how, and guidance about how you should weigh in on what government should do about homelessness. No, but what you will hear is the call that we are called to care for the homeless, as David just said. And, and, and so we'll, we'll partner with ministries like Catholic Charities and Rapid Rehousing and, and, uh, uh, who get people off the street and get them into housing. And every, whenever it's needed, we'll open up our church to be an overflow uh, shelter. And we encourage folks to volunteer when we do that, uh, to, to be with these folks who are right now in this homeless state. We're called to do justice. Not just think about justice, debate justice, contemplate justice, judge others for not doing justice. No, we're just called to do it. That's why we have... Uh, like a daycare center here for, for underprivileged families, and um, a, a theater where we're, we employ at-risk youth, and Meals on Wheels delivering food to shut-ins, and, and a, a lay counseling center for, for folks who need counseling but can't afford it, and a refuge a ministry for people who are struggling with various issues. It's why we do that throughout the world. We've got ministries doing this, like COFED. In Haiti, these folks, they empower the indigenous population, empower Haitians to rejuvenate their towns and to uh, get drinkable water and to provide job opportunities to people. We do that because this is what people deserve. This is just what people deserve. And we know that because of what God did for them in Jesus Christ. We don't need any other criteria. There are no ifs, ands, and maybes in this. It's, 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 uh, unlike the politics of the world, this is simple. You don't have to ask any questions. They have unsurpassed worth. Our job is just to express that. And when people don't have enough to eat, that's unjust because that undermines their dignity as king and queens. And when they don't have adequate clothing and when they don't have adequate housing and they can't get a job that will support their families or they're suffering discrimination, sexual discrimination or racial discrimination, anything that's undermining their worth is unjust. And so our job is to ask the question, not what should Uncle Sam do about that, but what can we do about that? How can we sacrifice to minister to these people? How can we adjust our way of living to minister to these folks? What can we do? This is what it is to... Do justice, to act justly. Whenever I, I talk like this, not all the time, but often I get pushback. <coughs> but like my friend Jim Wallace, he's, he and I have been going around this one for 10 years. Um, and I love the guy, but we just disagree on this. Here's his pushback. Uh, well, look, at, that's great that you're doing that. Churches should be doing that. But, but see, you're not addressing the systemic issues that cause... Discrimination and poverty and homelessness. The only way to address the systemic issues is to weigh in on political options. You gotta get involved. There's no way around it. So I'm told. Uh, here's, I, 
there's a lot of things I can say about that, but here's, here's my short response to that. Three things. First, and what would those political options be? Usually when people say that, they mean my political options because they have the morally superior, caring, smarter ones. But see, should you go for Matthew or should you go for Simon? Which, which alternative? They're both very convinced that they're right about how to bring about a more just society. Which one? Uh, and the minute you see, it's, it's intrinsic in the nature of the, the, the system that the political op- options are almost always ambiguous. Good and intelligent people can fundamentally disagree about those things. That's just the way it is. And that's fine. But our job is not to invite that into the church. The second thing is this. I don't recall Jesus spending a whole lot of time getting his disciples to rally around some opinion about what Caesar should do. Maybe I'm wrong. Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm not. (laughs) And see, if, if he had done that, if he had tried to rally folks around a particular opinion about what Caesar should do, Matthew and Simon would be at each other's throat in a minute. And now his whole kingdom movement would be jeopardized. The third thing, though, is this. Um, if, if the church was the church worldwide, if the church was being the church, which includes acting justly as defined by the cross, if the church around the globe was being the church, well, imagine the difference that that would make. That would that would transform systemic issues. Um, imagine if just a portion of the two billion folks on the planet who profess, <coughs> who profess faith in Christ, if, if, if a portion of that church was passionate about sacrificing to see hungry people fed and uh, people thirsty getting drinkable water, if they were passionate about uh, coming against all sorts of injustices that are done to people, against sexual trafficking, and you'll be hearing about that next week, by the way, uh, if they're passionate about providing opportunities for people to be able to support themselves and to get schooling and to get education, if they're passionate about coming against everything that undermines any human being's worth as a king and a queen, and Matt, I guarantee you that would, that would transform uh, the societies uh, far more than any political solution could ever do. Because frankly, if you look at the history of things, political solutions don't go very far. But now, if the kingdom people would just be the kingdom people we're called to be, man, that would have a massive transformation. So for, for my two cents, I'm going to pour all my time and energy, not in trying to tweak Caesar's system, but in trying to get the church to be the church. <laughs> That's where the solution lies. I've always said this to Jim Wallace. It's like, why are you spending all your time trying to get convinced Christians around particular opinions about what Caesar should do when you grant that the church is not yet the church? Let's just spend 50 years trying to get the church to be the church and put politics on hold. And then maybe we'll be in a position where if we have a political opinion, we'll actually earn the moral authority to, to have people listen to us instead of just being all talk and no walk. You know, this is, the church has got to be the church. And the place to start is with us. I can't fix the world, and I can't fix the church even. But it starts with us. I love that quote from Gandhi. I I give it quite a bit. He says, the best thing you can do for the world is to be the kind of change you want to see in the world. Just be it. Just be it. Model it. Everyone's always about, well, here's what you should do, and they should do, and the other person should do, and da-da-da-da. But no, be the change you want to see in the world. So for us, it's, it's this. Be the kind of justice. Do the kind of justice that you want to see the church doing throughout the, the, the world. And so our job is just to do it individually and collectively to just do justice. Ascribe unsurpassable worth to people. Go out of our way and sacrifice to communicate their worth and to come against everything that's inconsistent with that worth. Okay, I want to close this by giving three quick little action steps to make it concrete here. 
Number one, <clears throat> examine yourself. This is always a starting point for, for kingdom people. Very frequently when we hear stuff, we all think, oh, so-and-so needs to hear this. Oh, I, they better hear this. It starts with us. Uh, if we're going to act, if we want to have a life that is really moving in justice, we have to ask the question, are there areas of our life maybe that are not just, where we're not doing justice? Um, and this is harder than you might think because you don't know what you don't know. You know if, if, if you were going to go down to Alabama in 1950, uh, there'd be a lot of folks there that would say, oh, I totally believe in equality and I'm not a racist. Uh, they don't notice the injustice of having the black folks sit in the back of the bus and not being able to go to this restaurant or not being able to drink out of that fountain or go to that bathroom. They, they, they don't even notice it because that's part of their normal. We have to ask the question, are there parts of our normal that are unjust and we just don't notice it? And ask the Spirit to highlight things. Is there anyone in your life, Holy Spirit, help us be honest, is there anyone in your life that um, you regard as and treat as something less than a king or a queen? Uh, are, there, are there people that you look at through a lens of a stereotype rather than seeing them as individuals? Because see, if we're not seeing individuals, we're not seeing their worth. Their worth isn't aligned with... A category? No, it's they're unique individuals created by God. Uh, ask the question, is the way that you spend your time and the way you spend your money, is that just? Are you doing justice with your time and money? Which is to say, is there, what, 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 what portion of your time and money is, is, is invested in communicating to people their unsurpassable worth and coming against things that undermine that worth? Um, you might ask the question this way. If you didn't care about the worth of people, how would the way you spend your time and money be different than the way it is right now? <laughs> well, it, it's, it, these are the honest questions to ask. Um, and and, and if, if, if any of those questions kind of land, if there's a conviction there, if there's a little prick there, I, I just encourage you to bring that to God. And, um, and ask him and ask other kingdom people, if, you, if you're in community with them, to help you discern this. How can you begin to rearrange your time and rearrange your money so that you are doing justice? It's not just a matter of, of trying to live fair. No, we're to actively pursue this, which means, you know, the kingdom always starts the moment we start to believe, right? Because uh, it, it, it always looks like Calvary. It, it always involves sacrifice. And so this is something we're supposed to sacrifice for. And so ask God to give you guidance on how you can sacrifice to be pursuing justice for others. Secondly, um, learn before you take action. This is so important and so often uh, missed. Learn before you take any action. Often sincere but uninformed people rush into situations and end up doing more harm than good. <clears throat> um, they, you know, there is, especially in the West, a kind of a savior complex. It comes, it's a legacy of our colonial period where uh, when there's something that we see needs to be done and there's some injustice happening, we just get on our shiny white horses and ride in as the saviors and we proclaim, we got money, we got money. We got the money here, we'll spend it on you because we're so good and we feel good about ourselves doing that. And the heart is in the right place, but some, sometimes doing that can completely destroy the local economy of people. Um, you know, a, a real good book on this is a book called When Helping Hurts. Uh, and, and, and there's a great documentary out there now that I really, and you can get it on Netflix and a couple other sources. It's called Poverty, Inc. Has anyone seen that, Poverty, Inc.? No one has. Oh, well, it's really good. I, I, I guarantee you. Here's, here's a classic example. Um, 
that in Haiti, they had this terrible earthquake in 2011, decimated Port-au-Prince and other areas. And we just ministered on Haiti, so we had some people on the ground who were affected by this, I'm a lot of people. And um, it, it was terrible. Uh, and organizations rose up right away all over the place, well-intentioned, and just showered them with all sorts of things. And some of those things were really, really good, but many of the things really did more harm than good. There was a company, two, two young kids, or teenagers, that start, or 20s, I guess, started this company where they are making solar panels because in Haiti, electricity is spotty at best, and the roads are completely unlit. And so they uh, found a way to, to create these rather inexpensive solar panels and to be in the light up the streets of Haiti. And they had a, a contract with the government. Uh, they were, they're going to make all these thousands of these solar panels. They are already employing 75 people. They had plans on bringing on another 200 in the next year. And employment is like the number one issue in Haiti. It has 80% unemployment. So anything that can employ people, man, that is gold. Well, the earthquake hits, and guess what? A bunch of companies send them solar panels. The result is this company gets put out of business. Who's going to buy their panels when they are getting them for free? Same thing happened with the farmers. You know, they send in all this food. Well, all, now the, all these farmers are put out of business. So now on top of the catastrophe of the, 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 the quake, you now have added to that all this extra unemployment that was created by the aid to the quake. Uh, what what, what these, this book and this documentary show is that, that what, what is needed is not to go into situations as the Savior. No, you first need to... Learn from these folks what is needed to partner with them. See yourself as a partner, not as a savior, and come alongside of them. And, and empower them to make decisions and to uh, offer solutions and, and, and to see how the best use of resources, what's needed and what's not needed. Often these, these companies and individuals, especially celebrities, when an emergency happens, they send emergency aid, all sorts of stuff. But if you send emergency aid and don't also empower people to get out of their emergency situation, you're locking them perpetually in their emergency situation. And they'll be forever dependent on you. And then businesses start to thrive on that. They actually, maybe not intentionally, but they need that because that's what keeps them employed, keeping people in this perpetual dependency on them. Um, f- f- folks, we first we see ourselves as partners. Uh, we're, we're not anyone's savior. Our job is to partner with people. If we've got resources they need, wonderful. You offer it, but you do it coming alongside of them. And give them dignity by letting them be the decision makers as to how it's used. And that leads to the third thing very quickly, and that's simply partner with others. We need to act justly in our own lives, individually, but everything in the kingdom works better when done in relationship with others. And, and if, since this is something that we're supposed to be pursuing, it's not just about living fairly, but per, actually pursuing it, we want to be a people who have a maximal impact for justice as possible. We're to aggressively come against everything that undermines people's uh, dignity as kings and queens. Now, you already do that by supporting the church. By supporting the church, you support all these different ministries that we do. So you're already partnering with others. But you might consider, make this a possibility, pray about this, uh, volunteering for one of these ministries. Uh, You you want to bring more justice into your life. You're asking, how can I have a, a... sacrifice for, for this to happen, to manifest people's worth and come against everything that undermines it. Well, think about volunteering in, in, in one of these ministries. Uh, they could certainly use it, or maybe you're called to, to a different ministry, a Ramsey Family Service Center or Dorothy Day Center or what have you. But be asking God, how are you to be weaving more justice in, into your life? And you might consider supporting, financially supporting a, a, a different ministry. You'll be hearing about International Justice Mission next week, and that's a beautiful ministry that, that can you support. But there's a number of those like that out there. But I implore you, before you sign a check to any organization or ministry, 
Make sure that it's a ministry that is actually empowering people and is working as a partner, not writing in as a savior. Otherwise, you'd do more harm than good. Our call, folks, is not to be the wise advisor about how Caesar should do justice. Our job, folks, is to do justice. Our job is to live individually and collectively in a way that we are manifesting people's unsurpassable worth as defined by Jesus Christ and to live in a way where we are actively, aggressively coming against everything that undermines that worth in Jesus' name. Would you stand? <coughs> hey, I got through this. Woo-hoo! Thank you for praying. I'll probably go into a coma as soon as I get out of the car. <laughs> well, that, 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 went, that went reasonably well. As we leave here, can we do it as a people who are committed to loving mercy and to walking humbly with our God and to doing justice to our people at all times, uh, seeking God's will about how we can manifest people's worth and come against everything that undermines it. If you are committed to that, as you leave this place, say amen. amen. God bless you guys. Go out. Do justice.